programs and welcome to the awesome Friday podcast for another week. This week we're doing something a little different. We're doing a bit of a grab bag episode covering both the Canadian Film Festival as well as a couple of new TV releases and uh, a little award ceremony that had some some controversy last week. Uh, my name is Matthew. With me as always is Simon and he's laughing because wow. he knows I'm I thought, talking about the, the SAG Awards. You know, I don't I know I I thought I was the British one. Like, oh, there was yes. some controversy at the Oscars. Yeah, there was a little You know, I literally I actually I did literally have to bite my tongue from from diving into a British accent and being like some controversy. <laughs> Whilst uh, the celebrities were having the cele- celebratory event, there was some controversy. Well, it was nice. There was um, really bad creative decisions, terrible versions of songs, um, people getting the speeches cut off, and a punch. It was a very British awards show. It had everything yeah. that you should find on a British night out. Yeah. So we will... Honest, I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm pretty exhausted by the discourse surrounding the Oscars, and I want to spend as little time on it as possible. Yes. But we should talk about it. Um, but if you want to hear our thoughts in more detail, we both guested on our friends at Four Real Movie News uh, on their YouTube channel right after the show. So most of our raw thoughts can be had there. I'll put that in the show notes. But, yeah, really, uh, any, anything, anything we were to say now would be just to repeat that. I mean, that was really, really fun. But um, I, too, if I could quote Daniel Rad- Radcliffe, I am dramatically bored of the whole thing. Um, yeah. I... I still have a little spark of anger that that he still stayed in the room. And, of course, the Academy is trying to save face and Will Smith is trying to save his career and Chris Rock is watching the money train come in as his uh, ticket sales go up. So, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm just I, ambivalent and angry at the same time. <laughs> how, how can that be? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I've been through all of the stages of grief at this point. Uh, Do you know why? And I'm just sort, yes. of, just sort of done with it. I'm just sort of done with it. At the moment, if, I'm, if I feel anything, it is a tinge of sort of anger and annoyance, but it's mostly because uh, all we're talking about is the fact that Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, and there was a lot of interesting historic things that happened on that night, and lots of great wins for great films, and we're not talking about any of it. And uh, that's, that's uh, a little well, I really feel sorry for Questlove winning an Oscar for Summer of Soul, who, which was clearly his passion project, and it came immediately after the slap, and literally no one was really paying attention. And that's one of the yeah. many things that Smith has apologized for, was taking the luster away from other people winning, because the other ones, people were kind of finding their, their, um, their focus again, but immediately afterwards, like, I don't think anyone was listening to Questlove. And it's a real shame because he gave a really nice emotional speech. It's meant to be an excellent documentary. It's a very important story that's told. It's especially for our times as well. So, yeah. It's, it it is. It's on, um, it's on Disney Plus because, of course, it is. Uh, and it is a great documentary. I've watched, I haven't watched all of it yet. I'm about halfway through it. But it's really, really good. And, uh, you know. Troy Kotzer, first deaf man to win an Oscar, and only the second deaf actor ever. And Ariana DeBose, first Afro-Latin American and first queer woman of color to win for acting. Uh, First time that two people have won an Academy Award for for the same role with her and Rita Moreno 60 years ago. Um, You say first time? Third time, right? 
What's that? It's the I thought you said it's the first time it's the Oscar for the same role, and I think it's the third time. I might have misheard you. A third third pair of actors. Sorry, I did I misspoke. A third pair of actors to win for portraying the same character in oh. two films. You taught me that because um, I thought it was the second. I thought it was just um, the Joker and uh, Anita, but you told me about uh, Don Corleone as well. Yep. Yeah, that's true. And um, also, it's uh, it's not totally rare, but all four acting award recipients were first time winners, which I think is uh, a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that the the best picture choice of Coda was uh, perfectly suitable. Yeah, um, I, I've I've no, literally just I watched Coda last night instead of Moon Moonfall. You went for Moonfall, but my wife wants to watch it, so we're going to save that for another night. I'm I'm sure we could do a whole podcast about Moonfall at some point. But we um, really, really could. <laughs> maybe next week. But I put on Coda uh, while my wife was reading, and she got into it and put a book down, and we ended up watching it together. And what a lovely little film that is! Just so sweet and so warm and I just love the the ending of it was very very warm and there's some very touching moments and it was really well made but I am just staggered I'm glad it won best picture I I don't think it's the kind of thing that usually would win best picture it just feels a lot kind of smaller in scale I'm really glad it did though but I am staggered staggered that Amelia Jones who played the lead in that movie was not even nominated for an Oscar after spending seven months whilst making Lock and Key to learn ASL and then perform with ASL so realistically, my wife who has studied ASL was convinced that she was like ASL from birth. She actually asked, is she a deaf performer? Because she is, and, and on top of the ASL, like the singing and the performance and her, just her reaction. And then I had no idea she was English at all. Mm-hmm. So I was then furious at her accent, just being, because I, <laughs> I find accents so difficult to be uh, consistent with. And just her accent was just so perfectly consistent. And I just love, there's a couple of moments in that movie, but she, she really has such beautiful, natural delivery and reactions. And there's one point, it's a minor spoiler, but there's one point where her, maybe boyfriend comes over and her deaf parents don't know they're in the house and they have very loud sex and then they come down and have a very awkward conversation half in sign half like interpreted and her face just is like the 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 embarrassment and death like the cold death of embarrassment that she tries to sort of sort this out <laughs> um she's wonderful she's amazing and i don't know i haven't seen the uh the the Kidman movie. I haven't seen the uh the whoever being Tracy Lords. It's Tracy it's not Tracy Lords, is it? Because that's someone else. <laughs> that's, I, I, <laughs> that's a different movie entirely. <laughs> I think you're actually, watched... in your head, I think I think you're actually conflating being the Ricardos, <laughs> which stars Nicole Kidman, and the eyes of Tammy Faye. Eyes of Tammy Faye. The, the eyes of Tracy Lords is a completely different film. That's a, um, that's a, but... that's a different genre of film. <laughs> should have won el- the Oscar. Eligible I mean, for a different batch of awards too. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've seen I've seen clips of Kidman. I've seen clips of Chastain. I'm sure they're very good at what they do, but they're just doing this stereotypical thing and. 
and like what do you what do you want academy do you want these people like putting on lots of makeup and doing these character pieces or do you want someone who's who is like acting their heart out in such an original way with so many oh no it's 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 definitely it's definitely the former of those two (laughs) (laughs) because that's better isn't it i don't know if it's better but it's definitely the thing the academy consistently rewards like if put it this way if you're if you're a woman and you're the lead in a movie and you put on a shit ton of makeup that makes and especially if that makeup makes you look less attractive than you are in real life you are basically a shoe in for an award. Did Charlize uh, Theron win for Monster? She sure did. Oh, do you joke? You ready? Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay. Like, and if you're a man and you put on a ton of and you like play a transgender part, you're you're basically guaranteed at least a nomination. Mm. Like it's a it's a it's a thing. My the way I like to explain it, and I've said this to you I think a couple of times this week, is that that in my opinion, the Academy rewards the most acting not necessarily the best acting and and ultimately and i think we talked about this on our friends youtube show that like it's just a popularity contest and whoever has the best publicist wins that contest so if the people behind coda thought it had a good shot at best picture and best adapted screenplay and best supporting actor and they threw all their resources behind that but none behind Amelia Jones or uh, Sean Hader, the director, um, mm. or anyone else involved. I mean, that that pretty much explains it to me. And that's why I'm not super disappointed that she wasn't there because it's just a popularity contest. And it's not even a true one because it's whoever has the best salesman stumping for them, right? Yeah. So, Are you surprised that, that Coda won? Was that a shock? No, I'm actually not surprised at all. Um, because the other thing to remember is that, so like the screenplay award, which it also won, those ones are voted on. And it's as far as I understand, anyway, it's just basically the first past the post, right? All the people who are eligible, who are screenplay writers, get to vote for that award. And they just vote for the one they think is best. And whoever gets the most votes wins. And similarly, the actors are the same. Whoever, everyone gets, to, every actor gets to vote. And whoever the person, the voter thinks is best gets their vote and whoever gets the most votes wins the best picture award is uh first off it's voted on by everyone uh, everyone who can possibly vote can vote mm-hmm. uh, but also it's not a preferential ballot it's not i think this one's best it's a ranked ballot so this is why we often see films that maybe aren't critically the best film of the year winning and it's because it's often the kind of film that will be a very safe second choice mm-hmm. right so it's very plausible to me that coda wins best picture by everyone you know if you have half the voters who think west side story is best and half the voters who think the power of the dog is the best and everyone chooses coda as their second choice coda wins right and that's how movies win the award that's interesting. Well, it's a worthy winner. It's a it's a very sweet movie. I'm very glad I saw it. So, sure, it should get. It should movies like that should get those kind of accolades because I don't think you usually see them. It's really interesting. I think was it Todd who said it just it had a bit of a hallmark quality to it, and I thought about that a lot when I watched it. And it, and yeah, I don't I think, think that... that's I don't think that's an an insult in any way or a negative thing. It's just a very sweet movie, isn't it? It's quite a small sweet film. 
Yeah, and it's a it's and uh, the reason I'm fine with it is that a it, it's well not even a just the, the main reason I'm fine with it is that it is it is a perfectly executed version of the kind of movie that it is, mm-hmm. and there's a lot to be said for that. You know, mm-hmm. I don't I don't need subtle deconstructions of toxic masculinity, and I don't need sweeping mm-hmm. camera movements if literally everything else is perfect. You know, like if everything is is executed insanely well then well why not give it best picture by by that metric which i agree with by the way that it should be celebrated when a movie that sets out to be something does it perfectly then we should expect jackass forever in the nominations next year because that is yeah. a movie that does itself perfectly for better or worse i don't know if you've seen it yet my wife managed half of it um uh, before she physically couldn't take any more. I don't know how there are not more dead people coming out of the, the Jackass movies, especially this most recent one. Uh, so I, I honestly, I have not watched the new Jackass, but I definitely plan to, and I have a very warm place in my heart for those movies. And the okay. reason is that that those people, Johnny Knoxville and, and the whole crew, they destroy their bodies for our own amusement because they think it's fun. <laughs> And there's a weird sort of, for lack of a better way to say it, there's a weird innocence to that that I, it just sort of warms my heart. They just do dumb shit for our amusement, and I kind of love them for it. <laughs> well, then you'll so, love this too. There's yeah. a lot of heart in Jackass Forever, just a ton of heart, and it's it's very, um, it's very sweet. Well, and the other thing, it, it, the other thing about it, Jackass that, at least historically it sort of struggled with this, but with their films anyway, I've always found that there's a, a real absence of malice in everything they do. They oh, do yeah. everything because it's fun. They do everything because they think it's funny and there's no like, we're going to get this one guy or there's no like vendetta. And when totally. there is, it's really like their best friends and just getting back at one another in the moment. Totally. There's no, there's no ill will at all. And do you know what? I really, it really reminds me of Magic, Magic Mike XXL, like that platonic platonic ideal of what male social relationships could be. Like whenever yeah. something happens to any of them, immediately they're all gathered around and like saying good job and giving hugs and everything. And everyone just loves each other while they're being hit in the balls with things. Mainly that like <laughs> if you're at all squeamish about openly seeing penises and balls, having things done to them, very painful things then this is not a movie you could watch but um i've seen more penises in the last 24 hours than i have the rest of my life <laughs> let me tell you i've seen a lot of cocks <laughs> <laughs> you know there's just I mean, there's some that's not true, there's someone but... out there there's someone out there listening to this being like well he must live a very boring life <laughs> uh, um there's very there, there's zero vaginas though unfortunately but um that would be less funny. There's something very funny about watching Steve-O remo- remove a bee sting from his scrotum. There's just something like inherently funny about that. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, <clears throat> uh, anyway, have you watched anyway. anything else? What, what have you dabbled with this year, this week? Uh, that's pretty much it. Um, that in the you know the we're gonna in the back half of this episode we're gonna talk about the Canadian Film Fest and I have seen more things in it than you have, um, and then obviously this week saw the premiere of two other things we're gonna talk about I think quick quick quite quickly 
um, which would be Marvel's Moon Knight and the Paramount Plus Network's uh, new Halo TV series. And which one of those things would you like to start with, Sam? Um, we should start with Halo. Um, you think so? Because there's a, there's a lot to unpack. Yeah, I want to talk more about Moon Knight. I feel like we can cover Halo very, very quickly. Yeah, um, it's because it's bad. It's really bad. And my context is like, I I bought whichever year was the year after the Xbox One, like the original Xbox came out. I bought a second-hand Xbox and I bought Halo. And since that moment, I'm just a huge Halo fanboy. I have a, a life-size wearable Master Chief helmet to my left over here next to Darth Vader and Boba Fett. Um, I have played all of the games and OSC, um, what do you call it? The uh, ODST. ODST's firefight, just, I, I can't even imagine the number of hours I've put into that game series as a whole. And um, the most recent game uh, is bad as well, too. But the context is, like, I should fucking love this show. I should be all over the show. And you put it really, really well. Like, what did you say about what they did? Instead of looking at Halo... Uh... Yeah, my explanation of this show, yeah, is that they looked at a whole bunch of recent science fiction and said, let's do that except Halo, instead of looking at Halo and thinking, how do we do that on TV? Mm-hmm. Basically. It's, so, uh, the the uh, for me, it seems like the biggest inspiration is The Expanse. Uh, the Expanse found this wonderful niche of semi-dark, semi-serious sci-fi, but with great hu- human moments and with great drama as well. And it feels like Halo's tried to copy all of that, except without any of the creative team or any of the, like the creativity or even the budget. The the CG there's a CG fight between Covenants and Spartans at the beginning that is like Scorpion King level CG with everyone bouncing around like they're inflatables. And I will say I think script, that's unfair. I, I think there's there's no, a lot of it's not unfair. It's terrible, Mark. Come on. It's I, awful. No, I mean, I don't disagree with you about the weightlessness of it, but there is a ton of detail in, especially the Covenant. My actually, my bigger problem isn't any of that. <laughs> and this is really nitpicky, but like you, my journey with Halo starts with Combat Evolved and actually starts from the Macworld Expo where, where it was originally announced as a successor to Marathon. And uh, first it was a real-time strategy and then it was a third-person shooter. When it finally came out, it was a first person. Anyway, I've been around this game a long time. And my biggest problem with that fight is that I think that there's a ton of detail in the Covenant forces in terms of the way their faces look and the way their armor looks. And it's all super dull instead of being bright mm. and colorful. Uh, yeah. And and both Marathon and Halo, the, one of the things I've always loved about the bad guys is that like you can tell them apart by the color of their armor and they're all mm-hmm. super brightly colored because they're religious fanatics marching into battle expecting to die. They're not trying to hide. They're trying to draw your attention and die in glorious combat. And so when I couldn't tell the difference in the color between the one wearing maroon and the one wearing navy blue until they were both on screen together, I was a little bit disappointed. Yeah. Well, Instead we are of, you know, living in the, this is the age of no color, after all. It's so saturated, yes. isn't it? And then ultimately, and this is a spoiler, but it's only the first episode, but oh, as gosh. with... As with Judge Dredd, if there's one thing Master Chief should never do, it's take off his helmet, and it only takes about two-thirds of the first episode for him to take off his helmet. And, and if he's going to take it off, at least 
like make it mean something like in the Mandalorian where we spent uh, most of the time hearing how important it is not to take the helmet off so when it happens it's it's important but this thing just in the first episode it's made it so the series cannot copy the story of the series in any way because if they go off now that now they're like what's happened in the first episode doesn't happen in the game series until they're two halos down and they get to i think halo five he goes rogue and now he's already got his helmet off he's already gone rogue he's already the big stubbly protagonist protecting the young asian girl and if you took away the names and the props you would not know this is halo there was nothing yeah. to connect it at all to and, what you know. and even that honestly wouldn't be such a problem if it wasn't so generic like so, yeah, I, so bland. I, and you said that it, and I think you're not wrong that it's really seems to be copying the expanse, but I think they're actually copying. It feels like a the the weird love child of of the expanse and the Mandalorian in that it feels like they're going mm. for the tone and world building of the expanse, and they're going for mm. the lone wolf and cub ripoff that is yeah. the Mandalorian, and they're sort of failing at both. Yeah, and to be really. fair. We're one hour into, I think, is it eight or ten episodes? And no, maybe maybe it'll get better. I don't know. But I did not like the first episode. And I have a morbid curiosity to watch more. But I got way too much on my plate, so I don't know that I will. You can always bet the show's going to be good within the first five minutes. You get a salty old space dog sat at a table basically saying, As you know... We've been yeah. out here for 20 years and the Marines have yeah. so all that bloody exposition and that card game at the beginning was just so bad, really, really bad. Uh, its only job is to fill us in the story so far. Here are the goodies. Here are the baddies. Here's why you should care. Instead of showing us in the story and like, how any of that matters. It was just so lazy and badly done. Very disappointing. Yeah. I, I don't need to watch. I got Paramount Plus free with my uh, Xbox Game Pass, and I don't have any intention of watching any more of it because it's they've already gone for broke within the first episode. They've already gone to a place that I'm not interested in whatsoever in a way that's utterly bland and boring. So Yeah, and it's a shame so, because there's a lot of there's a bunch of people in it who I like. So I like Pablo Shriver and I, I like Natasha McElon. Is that how you say McElon? Um, who's, who's the guy who plays the guy who plays Master Chief and the woman who plays Doctor Halsey. I like them both. Oh, Natasha um, McElhone. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but the show is not great. So. I I didn't recognize Pablo Schreiber from anything. Schreiber, Schreiber, that guy. He's uh he's Liev Schreiber's cousin. Oh really? Oh. Yeah. Well, there um, and you would notice him. He's probably best known for. Uh, he starred. He was one of the on the cast of that Amazon Prime show, American Gods. I don't know if you ever watched it. that, but he no. he played um, he played the Leprechaun in that show. Okay, Mad Mad Sweeney, which is one of the best parts of that show, actually. I've heard very bad things about the production of that show, but we. Won't I mean, yeah, it's that. a it's a it's a mess. But anyway, yeah. Um. um well, so yeah, Halo. Don't bother. Let's Halo. move on to. Uh... So we talk what about Moon Knight quickly? Yeah, let's talk about Moon Knight. So it... we, I've seen the first three episodes of Moon Knight, and you have seen the first episode of Moon Knight. Yeah. And um, I didn't 
really connect with it. <laughs> um, whereas I think now, you connected with the first one at least, right? Yeah, but are you talking about your experience with three episodes, or are you just talking about the first episode? No, the first three. I didn't. Right. The, so the first um, of the th- of the three that I've seen, the first one is the strongest one. Right. Um. Uh. But my experience with the ones that I've seen is overall not great. So. I, I have a sneaking suspicion that all the things I love about the first episode, they're going to dump because they're way too uh, risky, uh, way too out there to carry on with. So uh, one of the main things I loved about the first episode is that you've got this character that Oster Isaac plays. Uh, I'm terrible Steven. names. Steven, right. Who with <laughs> He lives in London and he's got a British accent. Cool, blimey, governor. I just work in a in a tourist shop. I work in a museum selling stuff. Oh, I, oh, I, lovely, jubbly. Um, anyway, that's a, a emulation of Oscar Isaac's British accent. It's kind of <laughs> sweet. I do, I do know people that look like that, that, that speak like that. Not many, not many, but it is a very, very specific stereotype of a type of London accent. Um, yeah, it's the same. It's the same one that that, that he must have gone to the same <laughs> school in Australia that Dick Van Dyke went to to learn his Mary Poppins. The thing is, if people speak like that in London, they're always laughed at, or anywhere they're always laughed at. There's always one cheeky like kid who's trying to be like with it who talks like this. Come on, you are a pine. It's like no, go go back to school. Um, yeah, but but I mean, I Oscar Isaac is one of my favorite actors and he is he's really really good i do like their attempts to convince us he's not handsome <laughs> like, like when he dresses in a suit oh i look like a knob and like no you look like oscar isaac in a suit <laughs> like yeah let's not dance around but he has these moments he has to tie himself to the bed every night with leg shackles because he sleepwalks and he has these very vivid dreams about going to different places and wouldn't you know it's not all just dreams. He goes off to this weird, like this weird place where he's basically James Bond and uh, running away from these antagonists who are trying to kill him, but he doesn't really know why. But the point I'm getting to is the main thing I loved about this is that in the first episode, when he's in great, great danger, he kind of has a fit and blacks out for a second and then comes back like 10, 15 seconds later and everyone's dead. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he basically goes. He basically goes full John Wick or full um, James Bond, and has no idea how he does it or um, has no memory of it. And I really, really loved using film techniques to put us in his point of view about not knowing what the hell is going on, and in, and especially that amazing car chase down the cliff, which I thought was really, really good. There's a couple of cutscenes mm-hmm. in that. Um, that's very well choreographed. However, by the end, we're already, I don't mind the violence, but we're already seeing suddenly it's okay for Mark to ask. So Mark's his like violent American, like alter ego, this like who becomes Moon Knight, I guess. I don't know how it works. But all the way through, Mark just takes over and he blacks out. But at the end, he has to ask permission instead of just taking over, even though he's in great, great danger from a, a big CGI Egyptian monster. So it's already breaking its own rules at the end. And then we see, we actually see the fight at the end, which is fine. It's a, it's a pretty good fight. But I just really liked the uh, being surprised at how they dealt with the fights up to that point. Now, mm-hmm. what, what do you think? Am I making sense? How does that carry over to the next couple of episodes? Do they... Yeah, so do they Disney keep... actually... So to give us some context to how I'm reacting to the show, 
Disney gave us, or gave me anyway, the first four out of six episodes to watch, and I only watched three of them. And to be fair, I did go, I did go to watch the fourth one, um, but I, I my the screeners had expired because I just couldn't be bothered to make it a priority. And by the time I went, I misread the timestamp, and when I fired it up on, you know, the morning they expired, I didn't realize it was mm. Eastern time, not Pacific time. Um, and my problem is that the whole thing feels super rushed in a way. I have a couple of problems. I have a couple of things that I absolutely love about the show. Oscar Isaac is great. And he's great as both Steven and as Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, the Moon Knight suit looks great. Um, most of the CGI, though, is pretty bland. And it has mm-hmm. that now stereotypical... Ow. Marvel color grading that looks like they've you know drenched it in concrete um and you're right in that first episode there is I really I thought it was really interesting in, in, in the way they dealt with Steven sort of having a fit blacking out and waking up after Mark's done his handiwork or even just the times there's a few times where you know Steven will go to bed and then he wakes up and he has no idea where he is and he's being chased by bad guys and that's all super interesting um, but Steven becomes aware of Mark fairly quickly. And then as soon as it's not dramatically convenient for them to have conflict over the body, they just don't anymore. Yeah. I, like I, it's resolved. I it's, it's, it's resolved really quickly. And I don't necessarily agree that they were breaking their rules in that first episode where Mark has to ask for permission. I think that, you can explain it by saying that when Steven's under a lot of stress, Mark is able to take over, but when he's not, he needs to like, they need to cooperate, but that's not even that clear. That's just me sort of going based on previous depictions of dissociative identity disorder. Um, I think Ethan Hawke is quite an interesting screen presence and completely underdeveloped. And that's my, my biggest problem though, right there is that most, most of the show feels really underdeveloped. It, it's, it's sort of amazing that like 23 films or however many it is now and half a dozen TV shows later that when a guy walks on screen and says, you know, hi, I'm a gift shop employee and I have an alternate identity who's also the warrior avatar of the Egyptian mood god Khonshu that I, as, a, as an audience member go, yeah, okay, sure, awesome, great. Let's get to the fights already. <laughs> you know, like we just, it's very easy to accept. But it feels at times like the show leans on that a little bit too heavily because nothing is explained. Like nothing, you, very little like, is explained. How much do you know of Moon Knight, like from the comics, from your comic days? Is this a character you know a lot about? No, I mean, I'm aware of Moon Knight. Um, I have read some of Moon Knight. I'm sort of aware of the sort of basic tenets of the character. I don't tend especially with marvel stuff i don't try to go looking for the things that they're doing because they very generally they do a good job of mixing all the best elements from all the various versions of things in their comics into their shows um so i don't i don't try to like lean too heavily on my comics knowledge anymore um so do you do what i was going with or or heading towards is does that maybe explain why it felt a bit underdeveloped to you because you know more about the backstory than they're giving you whereas i know nothing about moon knight at all so i'm no but to be to be fair though like i think one of the key differences 
is that you've only seen the first episode, right? Things don't need to be yeah. explained in the first episode, mm-hmm. but by the end of the third, there's some uh, things I should yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, not to give away too much of the series ahead of time, but like, it just it just really rushed. It just really rushes through things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no, like, there's not even lip service to the idea of like, the Egyptian gods are real in the Marvel universe. And no one even says like, why didn't you fight Thanos? Like they've done in other shows, right? Like mm. even in Eternals, they were like, why didn't you fight Thanos? And they're like, we weren't allowed. And they were like, oh, okay, cool. That sucks. You suck. And then they moved on. Yeah. Um, this just happened. Okay. Egyptian gods are real now. Great. Awesome. Moving along. And the whole thing goes at such a, it, it barrels along so quickly that it just glosses over so much of what of needed development. There is a great sequence uh, in the third episode, I think it is, where you get that um, point of view switching where you're you're in Mark's point of view and he blacks out as Steven takes control and then comes back to a situation he's not comfortable with. And that's a really nice juxtaposition. That whole yeah, thing the way good. that works is is amazing. Um, but like I say, they Mark and Steven go from being like, I'm never giving you back control to we're gonna work together like in about span of about thirty seconds. Like there's no So, so one of the things I I thought during the first episode was this when the voice starts kicking in, it's like this this feels a lot like Venom. You know, when in the movie when they are uh, when the voice is there and he doesn't really know he's trying to fight against it and it slowly like everything you're saying sounds like what happens in Venom would you would you concur? Like they they kind of I mean, against each other and they grow and they're like accept each other? Kind of. And I'll be really curious to see where they like I'm not gonna not watch the show. Uh, and apparently in missing the fourth episode I did miss probably what many reviewers are saying is probably the best action sequence in the first four, um, at least. And I'm curious to see where they go with it, but like, there's no even, they haven't even tried to explain who's the real personality in the ones that I've seen. And I think it's pretty clear that it's not Steven, because I think it's more plausible that the American paramilitary guy has a meek British alter ego than the other way around. Um, or is it? I mean, I don't know. Like, there's no... They haven't delved into hardly any backstory at all. And you haven't even met Mark's wife yet, so... No. Huh. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching more of it to see where it goes, definitely. And this is... Uh, how many episodes are in the whole arc? There's only six. Uh, okay. And to be clear, I fully appreciate that I seem to be in the minority on this one. Uh, and usually I will, usually I've connected with Marvel stuff. I usually I'm, I'm pretty big on being like, you know, it's all good. Not all it's great, but it's all at least good, but I just haven't really connected with this one, which is a shame because I really want to, uh, mm-hmm. everything about it, everything about it on paper looks amazing to me. Right. So. Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's just the one that broke the camel's back in terms of me and Marvel. I don't know. It's definitely yeah, do, it does sound like that. I was kind of going to ask that. Like, do you feel like you're getting a bit just tired of Marvel by this point? And that 
it's their formula is pretty clear, right? That they the way they make movies and the way they make TV shows is not the most surprising thing. There's some surprising elements, but they really have a formula that they stick to. Are you finding yourself a bit bored of all that now? Um, I don't know. I think bored is the wrong word. Um, but I definitely, I don't know. It's, I, I guess I've found the TV series to be a lot more hit or miss than the movies would be right. maybe a better way to, to frame it because mm-hmm. I thought Loki was great. Um, I thought that Falcon and the Winter Soldier was a good show that wasn't as well executed, but delved into some things that I thought were really interesting. I thought the first half of WandaVision was amazing, and the second half was very samey to everything else Marvel's mm-hmm. done. Like I think, I th- I think my problem at this point, at least with the TV shows, seems to be that they seem to start out taking interesting risks. And then they end yeah. with the same third act bullshit that the movies do. Yeah, I kind of agree. Which is a Absolutely. pretty consistent criticism of the films, too, to be fair. It's just a little more stark when it's a TV show. And I don't necessarily agree that a six-hour TV show should be a six-hour movie. I think every episode needs to have a beginning, middle, and end in the same way that the entire season does. And mm-hmm. I don't think they're that good at that. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. My feelings are, we'll go with mixed. We'll go with mixed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, what would you give Halo right. out, of, out of five? Oh. Like, one, are we doing two? zeros? I'd go one. If I could go lower, I would. I thought it was terrible. Okay. I'm going to give it a go? one. One for Halo, probably. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Moon Knight for you? Uh, episode one will be a four out of five for me. Um, a very guarded four out of five because I'm pretty sure that they're gonna not be consistent with all the things I love because they're not yeah. gonna they're not gonna want to cut away every time Mark takes over because that's the main draw now because that's where Moonlight comes out by by the looks of it. So I I love the jump cuts. I don't think I'm going to see many more of them. So you do. Uh, I can tell you. I can. I can tell you. You do see more, and I will say also, I think you've probably seen the Moon Knight costume at the end of episode one, right? Yeah. Um, when Stephen summons the costume for the first time, it's pretty great. There's a moment that's oh, pretty yeah. great. Um, because it's a different costume. <laughs> it's, oh, okay. Um, I did so like the again, C- the CGI cloak was not good. I found being really picky at the end of the first episode. The the CGI no, cloak. In the third, in the third episode, there's a moment where like he jumps up into the air in front of the moon, and the and the cloak like forms the Moon Knight logo behind, and it's just not. I'm just like, it's meant to be great, but the CG's really janky, so it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. But like I say, there's tons of stuff in the show that I should love, and I don't. So for mm-hmm. me, again, I've seen more of it than you, but I'm at a, I'm mm-hmm. still at a two out of five so far. Oh, a two! Wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I would be really interested what my uh, opinion is at the end. Definitely. Yeah. Well. Well. Six weeks from now, we'll re- we'll revisit. <laughs> Good. Okay. So we're barreling through a ton of content this week, which is yeah, a little weird. Actually, I've enjoyed the structure we've had recently. But moving on, um, let's talk about the Canadian Film Fest. Now, you've seen two films, and I've seen five. If I want to uh-huh. say. Um, 
let's just start with one of the ones that I've seen that you haven't. Um, we'll just talk about it really quickly because it's super weird. It's called The Noise of Engines, and it is a Quebecois film about a young man who is a customs agent, a border agent, and he's at a special firearms training camp. And uh, in the very beginning of the film, he is having a sexual liaison, consensual, with one of his uh, co-students. And she's wearing her riot gear, and she ends up having an asthmatic attack. And he gets sent home as a disciplinary measure to his hometown. And then oh, in his hometown, in his hometown, this series of erotic drawings start showing up all over town, and the police suspect him. And it is a super weird movie about, you know, can you go home again and self-acceptance. And it's really weird, and it's right. definitely not for everyone. But it's the kind of movie that if you can, like, approach it on its own terms, you might find something special in it. You know what I mean? Is it a a comedy? It's definitely got some funny moments. There's definitely, (laughs) there's a really, there's a really funny moment, a scene where, right at the very beginning, he's in this, in front of this woman who's like a commandant or something for the border services. And she's reading the findings of the investigation in this complete stern deadpan uh, tone. And she's like, you engage in sexual relations with your co-student and she was wearing a riot here and she had an asthmatic attack. And uh, this all points to sexual deviancy. And um, did you know that my husband and I have an open marriage? And then like awkward, like it gets really awkward, really fast. Um, Uh And then the other sort of half of the film is that he's just sort of stuck in his hometown on this like forced, um, not vacation, but just like disciplinary time off. And his mother owns a racetrack and there's a Icelandic woman in town who's like doing time trials at the racetrack. And she comes up to him and she's like, show me around town. I'm new to town. I've never been here. Show me around town. And he's like, this town is terrible. And she's like, I've never been here. Show me around town. And as a person who comes from a small town, I kind of enjoyed the aspect of the film, which is a person from away thinking the small, tiny, kind of boring place that you're from is actually amazing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and like I say, I this is a super this is a super weird film. I don't know if it's gonna get any kind of wide distribution. I don't know that everyone's going to like it, but it's again one that if you can approach it on its own terms, um, you you might find something special. And it's called the noise of engines. Just you describing the plot of that movie sounds like a game I used to play with my students, where you go around a circle telling a story, and they just add all kind of batshit stuff in there. And yeah. uh, and does it work though? Is it good? Like, how many stars did you give this thing? Does I it, gave it. Does th- it... I gave it three out of five. It does work. But it is the kind of movie that I think a lot of people will bounce right off. Like it's very esoteric. It's very weird. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's probably a little too art house for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, if you can sort of come at it on its terms, which is a phrase I feel like I've overused at this point, I think you'll. I think someone might someone might find something they really like there. Right. It's certainly an interesting debut from the director whose name I'm completely blanking on. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What else? It, it, any other ones that you want to talk about that I haven't seen? 
Um, what's the other one that I've seen? I've been focusing on the ones that you have seen recently because uh, um, I got to interview some people. But let me just mm-hmm. punch up my list here. Uh, where are you? Oh, no. The other one I've seen was actually that film, We're All In This Together, which I don't think you watched that one yet, right? Uh, no, that was going to be my third, but I didn't get around to it. Right. So We're All In This Together is uh, a film. It's based on a Canadian novel of the same name, and it's been uh, adapted by and produced by and directed by and also starring Canadian actress Katie Bolland, who uh, I got to interview. I saw this film originally as part of the Whistler Film Festival, and I got to sit down and speak with Katie uh, for about half an hour on Zoom. And uh, that episode of our podcast is actually up. It went up last week. You can listen to it. I think it's a lovely little film. It's not, you know, uh, amazing, but uh, it's exactly the kind of film where you're like, oh, I want to see more from this person because they wore every hat in production. And it's just an impressive display, especially as like a feature film directorial debut. Oh, so, what's yeah. it about? Uh, it's kind of tough to describe without giving some key stuff away, but the setup is that Katie Bowen plays uh, twins who are estranged. They are the eldest daughters in a family. They have a middle daughter and a younger brother. And the very first scene in the movie is their mother, who's suffering from some mental health problems, going over Niagara Falls in a barrel. And then that brings the whole family back together, basically. Um... And it just follows the sort of like fractured family coming back together. And there's reasons why they're estranged and all those reasons are explored. And especially between the, the two twin sisters. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it, it's, an, it's an impressive display watching her act as the sisters because they, I don't know how many pairs of twins you've known in your life, but they behave the way the twins that I have known behave, which is that they are exactly the same and entirely different somehow at the same time. Um, (laughs) And if anything, it's just impressive to watch. I'm always impressed whenever a film like that can like cut between a person talking effectively to themselves and have it be believable. Because there's especially some pretty emotional scenes toward the end where the twins sort of have it out and she basically is fighting with herself. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's not, it's not a, not a perfect movie, but it's, uh, again, a hell of a debut and, uh, a good one for, I think, Canadian cinema. Hmm. Sounds interesting. Yeah. Sounds like the kind of person that is going to be good to follow and see what else they create in the future. Sounds, yeah. Quite and she's been around for, she's been around for a, a long time. She started out on, you know, Canadian kids TV and she's acted in a bunch of stuff. She has a Hulu series. Uh, which I think is on YouTube in Canada called Long Story Short. Um, but this is her first like feature. And I, oh. honestly, I just think it's impressive that she just did all the things. Like she wrote the script, she yeah. produced it, she directed it, and she starred in it as two characters. That's a lot. It's a lot of things. And, and is it done well? Like, does it work? Yeah, it works. It works. And um, oh. it was really interesting to speak with her, and she's a lovely human being. So if you're listening to this, this episode... Go listen to that episode because I think she's uh, <laughs> lovely, and uh, it was really fun talking to her. So, oh, excellent! Well, I'll, I'll definitely yeah. catch that. Okay, well, let's talk about something I did see. What should we talk about? Should we go over a small fortune? 
Yeah, let's go over a small fortune, which is basically a simple plan, but in rural PEI. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. basically, I don't know if you've seen a simple plan their listeners, but basically <sighs> a small town moss farmer, which is a real thing. I looked it up, uh, <laughs> finds a bag of money on the seashore and, you know, drama ensues. I think I like this a little more, more than Simon did, but I uh, not very much. <laughs> For me, it's a solid three out of five. So, what it were like? What would you say? So, it's interesting you mentioned a simple plan because the book or a simple plan that the movie was developed from it, it's probably in my top five favorite fiction books of all time. I probably read it once a year just to go over it. By it's by Scott Smith, and it is a absolutely the kind of story I love where someone makes a plan, <laughs> a simple plan if you would. And there's a tiny, it's like a crack in the windshield. And, and the more you drive and ignore that crack, the crack grows and it grows. And then it's, it, it gets bigger. And you have, uh, in order to patch those cracks in their story, they, the main character has to start lying and l- do more lying until there's just layers of lies to, to try and protect the money that they found. And um, it's one of my favorite types of story. Like when when someone makes a decision and then really uh, does a lot of terrible little things to maintain that decision. Like I love that kind of story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think that was perhaps a problem for me watching a small fortune because this movie was so close to being really good for me. There were so so many good elements. I loved the setting. I I really interested in this. I've seen a couple of things now, like Midnight Mass and this, and a few other things about the death of maritime fishing communities or mm-hmm. coastal coastal communities that used to prosper and make huge amounts of money, and now they're almost dead, and everyone's moving away, and that's a big theme of this story. I, I love all that. I find that fascinating and heartbreaking. I actually thought when he... Because <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but I'm English, and... Um, <laughs> It's it's I not was, apparent. It's not apparent at all. I was I was listening at the for the first twenty minutes of this movie. I'm like he he's not saying moss. He's a fisherman. Like there's a fish that exists, and when I work out what fish they're saying, I'm gonna go. Oh, he means like this, like a perch or something. Like he's clearly a fisherman. And in this, like tra- this, uh, what, what's the right name of the accent? Maritime's accent. You you told me. Oh, that it's a pre- it's a. It's a PEI, Atlantic Canada accent. Atlantic, right, right. So it's like, I mean, this is a a great accent anyway that I have to really focus on because it's like this mix of American and Irish and lilting all over the place. It's just fantastic. I was like, there's no way, there's no way he is saying moss. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I, I I need to work out what he's saying because... He's not saying moss. He's not a moss collector. Nobody collects and sells moss. And then yeah. it wasn't unless, until like you physically see it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know yeah. that was a thing. I had no idea you could collect moss and sell it. Or, yeah. Apparently well, you I mean, anymore. you can't really anymore. But yeah, Irish moss is a real yeah. thing. It's a, a very nutritious no food additive uh, <laughs> for all kinds of cuisines and also uh, horse feed, among other things. It's a Oh, there we are. It's not exactly See, a boom I, industry, but... Yeah. Well, 
whatever it was it used to be and he's like holding on by his fingertips his dad's property and his dad's business and he's living in the shadow of his very successful father and they his wife is pregnant and they have almost no money because he's not making anything and he won't leave the community so i I really like the setup like you could when because you know what kind of movie it is going in it's really interesting to see how they set up because there's got to be circumstances for if he finds the money, like there's got to be significant circumstances that would override any kind of moral sense to hand that in. And poverty is a really good motivator and it's the same in simple plan as well. So I was really on board with this film, except the, the script or, or the character, well, it's the script really makes such stupid choices on many, many uh, moments that just completely lost me. And by the end of this movie, it had gone so far down the wrong way. I just, uh, I was really frustrated by this movie at the end. Like the little things, like what, one of my favorite elements of this kind of story is the main character's slow descent into paranoia. Like it's got to be a mm-hmm. slippery road, a slippery road down to when the door knocks, like, who is that? In in this movie, he finds some money and he goes straight to paranoia. The moment he takes it, there's a knock on the door and he is, like, in full paranoia mode. And there's no bridge. There's no, like, movement towards that. And so the wife is already on, like, as soon as he starts bringing stuff home that he hasn't afforded before, because he's acting that way, she suspects him straight away. Like, there's none of the trust to be broken later it just needed nuance it needed to take its damn time and it needed nuance and it and uh for me because it it rushed it it went straight to the dark side the dark side and it that kind of <laughs> that kind of ruined the whole thing for me but i did like yeah. andrea and andrea bang andrea Kim's bang yeah she Kim's plays a police actress. officer yeah. I investigating she was what's great. going on yeah i'm I a big actually, fan I'm a big fan of Leanne Balaban as well, who plays the wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, she was she's, a, she's a great actress, and she is yeah. a pretty much a fixture in Canadian film. Um, uh, I've I've always liked her, but she's quite good in this as the concerned wife. Mm-hmm. Who clearly, like, she knows something's up pretty much immediately mm-hmm. because she's not a yeah. moron. <laughs> yeah. But she does a really good job of being the sort of like um, concerned wife without being. Um, It'd be so easy for that character to be kind of a true, right? But she's not. Yeah. Right. You know, the most interesting part of the whole movie for me was the relationship between the old seasoned police sheriff and mm-hmm. Andrea Bangs's brand new like constable. Mm-hmm. And he he um she tries to give him like a ticket to a couple of girls riding quad bikes and he tears it up and, and you think it's he's gonna be this horrible racist asshole, but he's actually a really interesting character and he talks to her about that they're not here to uh oh, what's the line he uses not not disturb the peace just keep it like make yeah. friends with people let let some things go he's actually a really sympathetic character and i really really enjoyed the interplay between him and andrea bangs's um character yeah um, his sort of world world weary Sort of world, yeah. world, world weary for lack of a better term. Uh, older cop and her like super zealous young cop, and he's basically yeah. like he's not a bad guy. He's just like slow down. Yeah, like, don't let's not sweat the small stuff. Let's just make sure our town doesn't burn down. Basically, so it was yeah. really interesting. Yeah, I really like that. 
really it's also fantastic. and I don't know how this keeps happening, but Joel Thomas Hines is really good at playing a sleaze bag to the point where I don't think I've seen him play anyone else. <laughs> Um, no, he he's, he played Troy. Was that the guy is, with a gun? Right. He's the guy with a gun yeah. who shows up in town, being like, "Where's my bag of money?" And yeah. everything I've seen him in for the past several years, and I've seen him in a couple of things. He <laughs> is some kind of sleaze bag, and he's really good at doing it. Uh, I worry <laughs> well, that he's typecast, but if you find your niche, yeah. Uh, By the way, like I think I still think this movie is totally worth checking out. I know you didn't like it as much as I did, but it's no. a lovely setting and it's generally well acted, and there's a lot of really interesting stuff. And it's a, you know somewhat a victim of its budgetary limitations, but I I liked it. I I recommend it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What are you giving it out of five? Like a two? It's a two for me, and I, yeah. I, it's a. I wanna I wanna say three. Like I'm always so appreciative of anyone making a movie like they, they clearly didn't have much money and i i just really think it's wonderful when anyone films especially during a pandemic films and edits and releases a movie that's cause for celebration but mm-hmm. i think the things that are the a low budget filmmaker is in control is the direction and the script those are the two only two things that they can control and this film needed so much if it just slowed down a bit and allowed the actor who plays the husband, uh, who was uh, Stephen Oates, Stephen his name. Oates. Oh, he's not on the cast list. That's weird. If they just allowed him a bit more time to go from kind of complacent to kind of paranoid to very paranoid, and then your man with the gun shows up, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more. But it just um, it just jumped the shark way too early for me. So I would say I would say two. But the interplay between the two, the old police officer and the, and, uh, the young new constable, is really really good and really surprising because I thought they were going to paint him as like this old racist man, but he's actually got a ton of nuance. So um, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, well, that's one more. So one more. Film. I'm going to talk about one more that you haven't seen, which is a okay. drama drama slash comedy called The Last Mark. Um, I mostly watched this one because, like the last one we're going to talk about, it has a feature role for a gentleman called Stephen Doyle, who's a pretty much a fix another fixture in Canadian cinema. He also recently had a, a good run in the recent uh, season of Star Trek Discovery. Um, You've definitely seen him in stuff. He had a supporting role in an HBO show called Big Love. He um, he was on Hannibal. Like, the dude's been in everything. He's in The Expanse. Um, he's, in, he's in two films in this film festival. Um, unfortunately, The Last Mark is not very good. It's no fault of his. Um, but this is a story about a... Basically, he's a hitman, and he's out on a job, and he's about to kill someone when he notices that this young woman he's about to kill has a picture of a woman from his past. And he starts worrying that the young woman might be his estranged daughter. And he basically kidnaps her to try and figure it out. And there's some funny moments, but the whole thing does not come together, unfortunately. Um, and it's kind of, kind of, kind of boring. Like, and it's, that's all I really want to say about it. It's not great. And yeah. I wish it was. Um, but Sean Doyle's fun. Like he's clearly having a lot of fun, but nobody else is. So it's a, it's a tough one. 
Yeah, yeah. boring is a hard thing to come back from. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. But moving how on. Many stars, last, how many how many uh, stars for that film? One, two, I don't know. Oh, a couple. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Um, but moving on, one last film we both saw is a film called mm. Ash Grove. Um, mm. Which I think I don't know how to rate exactly. I can give it a three out of five, I think. But this is a story of basically um, basically there's been a, a global pandemic, which I know is shocking. Although it is shocking <laughs> because I know for a fact that they conceived and, and, and wrote the film prior to COVID and then shot it during COVID. Um, and Amanda Brugel plays a scientist who's got the best shot of figuring out how to avert said pandemic. And she is working herself to death and she's basically ordered to go away for a weekend to relax and basically, you know, uh, just to, yeah, to relax and to, to de-stress so she can actually work effectively. And she goes to a family farm with her husband and they spend some time together. Uh, and I don't know how much, how much more can I even say without giving away the whole thing? The problem, it's a tough one. The, the, pro- problem the problem with is this the, movie is that I we, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the 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 problem with this movie is that there's a couple of really big asks right off the bat. And the biggest of those is probably that the pandemic is that water is now poison. If you drink too much water, you die of water poisoning. And if you don't drink enough, then you die of dehydration. And I I don't I don't know exactly how I feel about that, but I definitely feel like it's too big of an ask. You? Yes? You agree? You disagree? Um, I'm so for me the big, big ask didn't come at the beginning. Like the so there, water yeah, poison. So water poison. So you have to ration it as the context comes within the first like two minutes. So yeah. I'm like, well, there's fine. A, that's what the movie's about. I'm, so there's a there's the, a big the, reveal at the end that is such it's a monumental too... ask that yeah. it's very difficult to overcome. Yes. It's, I... And it's such a twist, uh, such a reveal. And I don't want to give it away because ultimately the performances in this movie are quite good. I thought, um, and it's a super interesting experiment when you know that there was no script. Um, the actors were provided with, outlines uh and each if a character didn't know something then the actor was not provided with that information and the actual dialogue and scenes are otherwise improvised and amanda brugel is very good and sean doyle is very good and the other two people in it are pretty fine they're fine you know it's an interesting experiment in filmmaking and i i think it's worth checking out but I think that a lot of people are probably going to bounce off it because of the, these two huge asks. Yeah. Like that. It's very difficult to suspend your disbelief once you understand what's going on. Exactly. It's, it, it is. It's also, I have no problem with big ass at the beginning, as long as they portray it in a, in a light that is at all believable. Like they're, they're in a world where there's a water is toxic. So you have to ration yourself, including, anything that you eat you have to measure how much water is in the things you eat 
And so water has basically killed millions of people around the world. And you have to really specifically measure how much you're drinking each day. And then there's a scene in this movie halfway through where they just go to a farmer's market and everyone's walking around as normal. And all the all the produce is piled high and bursting with color and brightness. And I'm like, this is not what you would find in a world where water is toxic. You wouldn't find people mulling around a farmer's market with the juiciest, uh, most moist vegetables and fruit around you because this stuff will kill you. Like, it would all be rotting in the fields. Nobody will buy any of this stuff. And they certainly wouldn't go to a farmer's market and look normal. But that you know, was just one of the, my on, problems with this On film. the one hand, I agree. And on the other hand, the last two years might have proven you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so... I oh. I don't know that that didn't I mean I get where you're coming from that didn't really bother me people still have to eat and they're in a rural place where there's going to be less processed foods I I'm sort of fine with that aspect of it no. um I, I, the, yeah there's, there's worse th- there's worse things with this movie like the when the reveal comes basically there's a reveal and then there's another reveal they pack the last third of this movie with two really really significant plot points that have massive repercussions to, on everything. And the movie would have been 100% better if they hadn't bothered with either, or well, with definitely the main reveal. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to spoil it in case you watch it, but basically it's completely and totally needless. And the whole movie could have been... Uh, di- the whole movie didn't need to avoid the thing it was avoiding before the reveal. It could have just rolled with it and used it as a plot point. And the reason I'm quite angry about that is that I thought um, Amanda Brugel, Brugel, Brugel. Uh, I've never, I've never seen her in anything before. I thought she was wonderful Canadian actress um, who was the female lead in this. Um, and delivering scenes without a script is very, very very difficult and i thought she did brilliantly sean doyle is a very very good actor he did great i didn't like um jonas koenig i don't i don't think he he coped as well under the circumstances um um even like before or after the reveal i don't think the reveal made up for the quirkiness in his delivery but i'm really happy i saw this film because now i know that amanda Brugel exists and I want to see like everything else she's in because I thought she was like standout, fantastic, really natural and really like in the moment and present. I thought she was great, but yeah. And uh, just for some context, for those of you who are listening, if you've watched the handmaid's tale, she is in that. Um, And she's been, she's been in a lot of stuff actually she has um, she has and i've managed to miss all of it there was one very popular series that she's in apparently she's in suicide squad as well but um yeah i don't i don't know exactly who she's in that but she's all she is she shows up in like room and she shows up in splice uh uh, kids convenience yeah she was in she was in sugar daddy which won a bunch a couple of csas last year um orphan black as well Orphan Black, lots of TV. I think the biggest thing I've seen her in is definitely she plays, uh, I can't remember her real name, but she, in The Handmaid's Tale, she plays the uh, the Martha, the housekeeper of the Waterfords uh, home for the first couple of seasons. 
and she's yeah. she's legitimately great. Um, yeah. And she's a really talented actress, and I'm glad she's getting more starring roles. I yeah, totally get where you're coming from. I I think it's it's always sort of interesting in that I will give this probably a three out of five because I think it's worth watching because of the performances, uh, yep. Miguel and Doyle in particular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think this is exactly the kind of film that will probably not do amazingly in a wide release, but it's exactly the kind of thing that I love to watch at a festival. Mm-hmm. You know, a little bit weird, a little bit esoteric, a little bit, you know, some big swing, some big experimental swing, like let's do a movie without a script and to see it's exactly the kind of thing you want to see at a festival so that you can say, you know what? I saw these people when they did that weird indie experimental film they did and now they're famous and I've no, I've been a fan of theirs for a long time now. <laughs> it's, um, it's definitely one of those movies for me. And um, uh, I did overall like it, but I, I, I was this close, this close to bouncing right off of it with that last big reveal. So yeah. I, I imagine lots of other people are. It's, it's a one or two from me for the same reason. Uh, the performances, two of the performances are fantastic. I, th- I think it might, have been better with an actual script just to control it all a bit more, especially a few of the other performances. But I'm really glad I saw it for Amanda Brugger. She's fantastic. Yeah. Good. Um, well, I think that's all we were planning to cover this week, which I know is more than usual, a little more scattershot than usual. Um, but hopefully next week we'll be back with our standard two things uh, format. Uh, Simon, what are you looking forward to this week? Is there anything coming up you want to see? Um, well, I've watched the first half of uh, The Prince of Persia, Sands of Time with Jake Gintel from 2010. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to watching the second half of that movie um, just to see if it stays really, really bad. Um, <laughs> uh, it comes from Didn't an era where par- parkour had to be in everything. And, Didn't we uh, see you. that together in a theater back in the day? No, is that you? this is the first time. This is the first time that it wasn't me. That was one of the others. Because I definitely saw um, it in a theater. I um, this is the first time I've seen it, and I was surprised. I actually googled who the director was because I thought this is it, it's so bad. It's so badly directed. Um, I was curious to see who had it, and it was Mike Newell of Four Weddings and a Funeral, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, a bunch of different stuff, completely, like, fine director. I think, he, I don't know what he was thinking here. I would love you to think know of what Jake, he was thinking. What do you think of Jake Gyllenhaal's uh, I mean, uh, waning Cockney accent? Well, <laughs> I mean, it, it has been the week of dodgy Cockney accents, isn't it? You should get yeah. him and Oscar Isaac in the same room. Oh, I got that! I got the sounds of time. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I mean, I've met Jake Gillenthor. I met him in uh, 2000, 2000, I believe, after a play that he was in with Anna Paquin and Hayden Christensen. And he was just the nicest, the nicest guy, really. Like, when I when I told him that I loved it, uh, he uh, his face lit up. He's like, oh, thanks, man. And then his sister turned up and whisked him away. So full on, like total heterosexual man crush on Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, so it's fine. Like it's it's a very 2010s action video game yeah. adaptation. It's very very 2010 action movie. Hmm. Um, 
more prevalence of CGI. I've been watching lots of 80s and 90s stuff, so you can. I, I enjoy watching as the technology improves or the extra CG and stuff. When I say enjoy, I mean, I, I, it's not all very good. But but I actually want to watch Moonfall. Maybe we could talk about Moonfall next week because you've seen it. And you were texting me some interesting stuff. That movie gets bug nuts very quickly. And yeah. it's directly up my alley in a way yeah, that yeah, is not, not, not a good movie. But it's it's if you like Roland Emmerich, this is the most Roland Emmerich that Roland Emmerich has ever Roland Emmerich. So, uh, yeah, he's a big fan. Def- he's a big, he's a big fan of mine, of course. So I can't wait to see it. Yeah, excellent, good. Did your wife? Did your wife like it? Because she has a oh, soft no. spot for that kind of. She she thought it was fine. Um, oh okay, which is but it's it was honestly though like this is still the kind of movie she will rewatch a bazillion times. She loves into the world <laughs> movies. So. <laughs> And what could be more into the world than, than the moon falling? Oh, is that what happens? I wasn't sure yeah. from the title. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, are you watching anything of note in the next week? Uh, nothing I'm allowed to talk about. So, no. Oh, uh, fancy. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, I think uh, we should cut it there. That was This, this has yes. been fun. Um, I uh, just lost my train of thought, so that's amazing. Have you about uh, to tell people that if they've enjoyed this broadcast, here's how they can support us. Oh, that's right. If you did like this broadcast, uh, please feel free to give us a rating on your podcasting platform of choice. Five-star rating would be lovely and helps us immeasurably. If you would like to support us a little more directly, we do have a Patreon and a Kofi, and you can find those at awesomefriday.ca, along with all of the show notes for this particular episode and all of our other content. Uh, this episode is not written by anyone, but it is produced, recorded by me, by Simpson, and co-starring my best friend, Simon Best, when we mm-hmm. record and produce it from the unceded lands of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish nations. Uh, anything you want to add before we sign off all the way, Simon? Uh, no, I just hope everyone has a wonderful week and stays very, very safe and watches some good stuff. Indeed. And Stay safe and thank you for listening and joining us on this awesome Friday. Bye.